in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. through this show we got davis kin joining us right off the bat from pro football focus uh davis i think we've had you on two times before now uh but i don't know if we ever had you on in season i know we've had some draft stuff and i'm we may we might have had you on one time in season uh but it's great to have you back on it's great to have you on after a vikings win in which i saw you going into that game uh so it was great to see you before that (laughs) one talk to your pops a little bit uh but then to see the vikings win i mean what did you see in that 30 to 17 win at home over the Seattle Seahawks. Um, yeah, it's great to be on. Yeah, this is my third time. And I don't think I have been on in season, but um, at the game, I think uh, it was really just the offense uh, yeah. was able just to control the whole pace of the game. I think we had 20 more offensive snaps than them, so we really kept Seattle off the field. That's what I did. And uh, I think just by doing that, we were able to dictate things to how we want to do it. That's how Zimmer wants to do it. He wants to control the game, keep the defense fresh, and keep the other offense off the field. I think it was really just a great performance. Yeah, it totally was. I mean, zero points in the second half to Russell Wilson in that offense. That's pretty dang good. Everson Griffin had a big sack in the third quarter that really kind of lit that stadium up. I mean, that was, I thought, the loudest point in the game when, when Everson had that sack. Um, but what did you think? I want to ask you this from a pro football focus standpoint. I don't know if you've looked at the game at all uh, from that standpoint, but that third down or that fourth and one, and like we had like four minutes to go in the game, we're up by 10. We decided to kick a field goal. I mean, we ended up winning the game, so it works out okay. But to go up 13 when we had a chance to maybe punch one in on the one yard line and, and end that game, were you thinking go for the touchdown there? Absolutely. That was actually, I'm happy you brought that up. Uh, that was probably my biggest like gripe or complaint about the game was I thought I, and I think a lot of people feel this way where um, I think Zimmer just in these situations is at times far too conservative. And I don't think really kicking a field goal really gave us much benefit there where we'd only be leading. We only led 13 after the kick where if we did and convert on fourth one where it's like our offense could do whatever they wanted they would still be pinned at the one. So it just didn't seem like there was much benefit to kicking a field goal there. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, Zimmer has shown at times just to be an awful, awful clock manager, game manager at the end of games. I mean, we need to get somebody in there who, and maybe it's just handing the reins completely over to Clint Kubiak. I mean, he's done an awesome job calling plays here for the first couple weeks. Uh, Kirk Cousins is legitimately an MVP candidate right now with – Zero. Yeah, Tommy's giving me a bad look over here. He is an MVP candidate right now, Tommy. If the Vikings are 3-0, Kirk Cousins would be at the lead of every discussion about the MVP right now with, I think, eight touchdowns, 900 passing yards, and zero interceptions. I mean, he's playing some great football right now. And if he can play that way throughout the rest of the season, we get Dalvin Cook, the best running back in the league, back in the backfield for us. We're going to have a chance to start really opening up the offense with play action and whatnot. But Davis, from the offensive side of things, from Kirk Cousins, how pleased have you been with his first uh, three games? I think he's been great. Um, uh, I think, uh, like you kind of said, I think Clint's doing an amazing job this year. And uh, I think I saw something earlier today where right now uh, 
Kirk is getting the ball like the third fastest out in the league. And I think this is kind of just helping support our offensive line who in the past few years has been just terrible in pass protection where I think yesterday we, we only allowed like nine, nine pressures on Kirk. So by getting the ball quick, we've been able to avoid these sacks and negative plays where we struggle to gain yards when we have long distances on second and third down. Yeah, exactly. I mean, K.J. Osborne has been huge for us on those third downs and even fourth downs this season. He's been targeted. He's seven, been awesome. Yeah, seven targets on third and fourth down. He's got seven receptions on third or fourth down. I mean, he's been, in my mind, the difference right now offensively of why we're putting up 30 a game. Yeah, I think he's, in my opinion, the biggest shock of this year where I'm sure he didn't really have many um, snaps at receiver last year, but out of what we saw of his special teams play as a returner, he seemed like a total miss. But then just one year later, I think he's probably like our most serious third receiver that we've had in many years. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, since really Jarius Wright, I, I can't think of anybody else uh, who has had yeah, that big definitely. of a role as our third receiver. Um, Alexander Madison, he had a day. I mean, he had a career high. 26 carries, 112 yards. I think he had 60 yards receiving, uh, but he's a legitimate back. He'd start on probably, I don't know, 15, maybe 20 of, of the other NFL teams right now. Uh, but if we have him as our number two guy, how good does that feel to have that much depth at RB? I think it's great. Um, I think it's good because uh, Dalvin and historically usually misses a few games a year. He tends to get banged up just with his very aggressive style of play. Um, and it's nice to have Madison to maybe to back up down whenever we lose him. And it really shows that like our running scheme in general is very good. And it's not necessarily always going to be dependent on Dalvin to get us going, but we're able to block and create the holes we need to get some yards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we don't know if Dalvin's going to play next week. Um, I, I read a report today that at some point during the week, I think it was either like Friday night or maybe Thursday night, Dalvin texted uh, Alexander Madison saying like, hey, I'm not going to be able to go. Like, we're not going to release it yet, but I'm not going to be able to go. So he, he had some time to prepare for it. And you imagine with another full week, Madison could be even a bigger factor uh, at, at home this week against the Browns. Um, defensively, what has been the biggest issue right now? I mean, obviously it's been cornerbacks for the most part playing pretty bad. Uh but zero points in the second half, what did they do differently that kind of allowed that to happen? Um, I think really in the second half, like you said uh, earlier, that I think the loudest moment, most energetic moment at the stadium was when Everson got home. And I think in the second half, we were able to generate a lot more pressure, which I think is really going to be the key to our defense because the corner play has been really shaky. Like I'm sure everyone has been very frustrated with Bashad Breeland, where PFF has him rated the worst cornerback in the NFL right now. So I think by creating wow. pressure, that's going to really uh, give our back end a little more wiggle room to be more successful. Davis, what's your what's your take on inserting Cam Dantzler, um into the defense? I know, and you're probably aware, that he tweeted kind of his frustration for not getting in as much as he would like, but as you, as you just said, PFF has him rated Freeland as the worst corner in the league. Do you think it's Dantzler time? Uh, do you think he should be get, taking more uh, snaps over Breland or what's your take there? Um, I mean, I, 
I personally, I, I think it's hard to say because Dantzler hasn't really put much tape on the field this year, but uh, knowing Zimmer, I can't imagine he would reward Dantzler or give him more snaps yeah. after that. He's a more old school coach, but uh, based on like what we saw of Dantzler last year and what we've seen from Breland, I can't imagine Dantzler would be any worse when we've got him from Breland thus far. Yeah, that that's the mindset I'm in. It, it doesn't hurt at this point. He's been burnt so many times, whether it's just a zone coverage, he's not covering her man-on-man. What's what's the point of just throwing in Dantzler there? He, he's a younger guy. He's got more to learn, but can't really do worse than Breland's doing right now. But he totally shot himself in the foot, I think, with that tweet because yeah. he just took a step back and it's probably going to remain on the sidelines for at least the next game for sure. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I think really, and I guess, uh, like, it's kind of, I think it's also just been shocking Breland's performance so far, which is maybe why he's still in, because from what I understand, like, during training camp, he's going he was going up against Thielen and Jefferson, who are two of the best in the league, and he was doing, having, doing well, having good reps in training camp. But it just seems like this season he's, his coverage has been too soft. He hasn't been physical enough, tackled poorly. Just, I don't know. I, I think uh, maybe changing it up would really help, but I guess we'll have to see how they move forward with maybe getting Dantzler or Boyd in more. Yeah, I'd love to see a little bit more of Dance. I mean, he's a young guy, so you, you would expect him to have been growing this offseason. We just haven't really got to see it yet. Um, but I, th- I think it's coming. Definitely took a step back. Zimmer's not a guy who's going to respond well. Uh, to a player going behind your back to to Twitter and, and tweeting something out and then deleting it, not even standing by it. I feel like Zimmer would have more respect for him if he's just kept it up there, didn't delete it. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, as far as PFF stuff, have you looked at any advanced stats on, on Minnesota this year or anything like that uh, that you could share with us? Or I mean, even more like player rankings too. How is Kirk ranked uh, among quarterbacks in the NFL? So right now, I believe... Kirk is rated the third best quarterback in the league right now. So, um, and uh, I think really the big takeaway that I've seen is uh, just how much better our uh, um, offensive line has been doing in pass protection this year, which I think has been a huge difference maker where um, I think this year we've only, like we've only averaged about eight to nine pressures a game, which is, a huge for Kirk because he's no like he's known to be more of like a he likes to operate in the pocket and he doesn't do as well under pressure. Where last year we I think we would be having games where we would allow twenty to fifteen pressures. So I think that's been really the huge difference so far. Yeah, I mean Kirk when he has no pressure, and I remember seeing a stat something about when he had longer than two seconds or it, it was something you might've even shared it with us, but he was, I think second to only Patrick Mahomes in accuracy and completions downfield when he had a certain amount of time in the pocket with no pressure in his face. And, and I'm just watching him. Obviously, you know that, but even in those times this year where there's been some third downs, there's been some big moments. He's looked more in control than in years past where he just kind of gets frazzled and he just lets the, the moment kind of get to him so far this season. It seems like, He's been just locked in and dialed in every single time we get to a big moment. We need to pick up a first down to to win the game on, on Sunday and not give the ball back to Seattle for another chance, and he does. We pick up the first down, and Kirk just in those moments this year has looked different, and it's pretty exciting to see. Uh, but 
Let's talk a little more defense. We'll let you go in just a second here. Uh, but back to the defensive side of things, what are your thoughts on Xavier Woods? I know he played a little bit better this past weekend. Is he a legitimate option for us at that safety position moving forward, or is he just a one-year plug-and-place guy? Um, I guess we'll have to see moving forward if he'll stay. Um, I think if he does perform well enough to where we want to keep him, it'll be just kind of up to the office if they want to pay money to keep them with us but uh i think so far he's the main thing is that he hasn't allowed any huge plays which has been great um and i think uh last year like anthony harris was a bit big disappointment where we franchise tagged him and gave him a lot of money but he uh ended up allowing a lot of big plays and really regressed from his previous two seasons that made him think he would many fans think he would warrant a big contract right yeah and his tackling has been an issue in the early part of this season you hope that gets better uh throughout the yeah. year as they get a little more comfortable with the system but yeah definitely th- some things to watch with him for sure um let's go just big picture here around the league anything that's jumped off to off the page to you the first couple weeks first three weeks now through the nfl season any crazy stats or any games that you've been analyzing that are just nuts um, I mean, I guess like, I just think the Rams are kind of the team that's kind of just shocked the whole league so far. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Stafford in that offense has been incredible. He's, I think one of, let's see, I had, I had the stat pulled up over here. Uh, so Matthew Stafford and then Teddy Bridgewater are the one and two quarterbacks, uh, right ahead of Kirk Cousins, but in the QBR and ESPN's ranking. So yeah. Stafford's been phenomenal. To, to start the season. I mean, that's somewhat to be expected. He was kind of penned up in, in Detroit for all those years. And then he gets out, gets out to the West coast. His wife is loving it out there and he's with Sean McVay. And I mean, yeah. it's somewhat to be expected, right? For sure. Um, but yeah, it's just been a, cause I mean, like usually it takes time for like a quarterback to like acclimate to the new system, install all the packages, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, they really kind of just have hit the floor running, and that offense just looks incredible. And the defense doesn't look as sharp as it did last year, but as the year goes on, I think usually defenses come along a little slower. I think they're going to be a serious threat. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, Davis, thanks for calling in. I know it's late on a Monday night, so thanks for taking the time here. Let's try to do this every couple of weeks if you want to because uh, we'd love getting your insight. you got you got great stuff for us. Yeah, I love talking about the Vikings anytime. <laughs> Beautiful. Davis, have a great night. Thank you, Skull Vikes. Yes, sir. All right. We got a new guest on the show tonight, Tommy Garibaldi. Tommy How are we G. Doing? How are we doing, folks? How's it going? New friend of the show. Uh, Tommy, what did you, as a Bears fan, diehard Bears fan, what did you disagree with that interview we just did? I, I did not. No, but like the Kirk you said Kirk, you were shaking oh, your I head. I don't think Kirk's an MVP. I mean, maybe statistically speaking. Statistically, but he's, he's yes. one and two. You know, you're not yeah, in the MVP race at one and two. But he led them down the field. Dalvin Cook doesn't fumble the ball. We win the game. That's fair. He didn't we had the ball really, on like the even really 29 yard line. I know, he didn't even fumble it. And <laughs> yeah, then he didn't fumble And then the next week, he does the same thing on the road against a better football team, Arizona, and the kicker misses a 37 yarder, I think it was. 
and we lose the game. Very easily could be 3-0 and right now. Kurt, we're, eight touchdowns, zero picks. Just looking like an absolute stud. Thomas, we're two plays away but from being. It's obviously that's football, though. Football's two plays. Yeah. You can look at a season and say, I make the playoffs, and three plays go differently. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, BG, let's rip through the Vikings game here real quick. I think I hit most of my talking points that I wanted to hit with Davis. Um, but let's see if I have a couple other ones here. Only 15 offensive snaps for Seattle in the second half, and that's a testament to Kirk Cousins and the offense and how good a job they did of controlling that offense and controlling the football and just running out of the clock, running on long touchdown drives, long field goal drives. Uh, but holding Russell Wilson to only 15 offensive snaps in the second half is an unbelievable statistic. We're, we're going to win a lot of football games if we can keep doing that every week. Um, we mentioned the going for it on the one-yard line with four minutes to go. They kicked the field goal. We all thought they should go for it. At least I did. Uh, BG, did you have any thoughts on that? Were you in the same boat as us? Yeah, yeah I was not a fan of that decision. Um, I think I kind of have the same mindset as you and um, that Davis had. But when it happened live during the game, I was just kind of pissed off that we weren't going for it because if we kicked a field goal, it was still going to be a two-possession game no matter what. Um, Or if we went for a touchdown, it would bring it to, I think, 17 points and get it to a three-possession game. Um, And we had all the momentum in the world. So I I wish we would have done that, and I just think, in those big moments, although that one wasn't a huge moment, but in those big moments where it comes down to a coach's decision, usually more times than not, Zimmer fails to meet the the limelight there because um, he's so conservative and the game has gotten more progressive with its play callings and just style over the recent years. So, yeah, I wish we would have gone for it. Um, obviously, it didn't end up mattering, but I hope um, if we get in some of those scenarios down the line this season, we tend to be more aggressive than that because I don't want to lose games and looking back on what if we, we wouldn't got this. Exactly. You got to play to win the game. You got to play to win the game and that'll come back to bite you if they don't play that way. And that's exactly how I think Kirk is playing right now. And he's looked so much different than the first five games of last season. I think going back to last season, his last 10 games have been, let's see, I have it. So he ranked second in passing yards in the last 10 games. So going seven games back in the last year. He's got over 3,000 yards. He's got 26 touchdowns. That's third best in the NFL. Uh, he's got two interceptions. That's also third best in the NFL. And he's completing 71% of his passes, also third best in the NFL. And no matter how you look at it, Kirk's he's absolutely rolling right now. He rolled through the last seven games of last season, and through the first three, he has been everything we wanted more as a quarterback who is now who's making, what was that, $84 million, 30-some million a year. Uh, but he's he's worth every penny of that and more right now because, honestly, he's playing above a top-10 quarterback, and he's paid right at the top-10 quarterback level. So he, he's playing some great football. Tommy G. Okay, I will agree Kirk is a fringe top-10 quarterback. I will give you that. But without your run game, which you had last night, but Dalvin Cook is the guy who makes Kirk Cousins his money. Without Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins is struggling because he doesn't have an line then, and it's a – Trickle-down effect. Fair point. Fair point. But like you mentioned, he didn't have Dalvin Cook on on Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. Madison was just as good as, I mean, he was playing like And that's that's the beauty of having two RBs (laughs) or number one on most most teams, or obviously Dalvin is. But uh, for Madison, he's the number one running back in most NFL franchises right now. Uh, Not most. 
I would say most. Okay. He will, I think his deal's out this year. He'll sign somewhere, somewhere next year, especially if uh, Cook misses a few more games. But yeah. Madison will Which sign a contract. Which with the 17-game season, the second running back right. is becoming a more and more important role in an offense. True. And he'll sign a contract next year. He won't be in Minnesota um, unless he doesn't get a single snap here on out. But I'm guessing he'll sign somewhere, and he'll be a starting back somewhere in the NFL next season. Um, Randy is now joining the show, so we might talk a little pack uh, for just a second. Tom, we're going to bring you back in for some quick Bears talk. Uh, BG, anything else you saw? in the Vikings win over Seattle uh, that really jumped out to you? I thought the O-line play uh, for the second week in a row was really exceptional. Um, I saw a stat from PFF that the Vikings right now, their offensive line is fourth in the league for pass protection. And the last five years, I think, no, like the last seven years, the best we've been um, at the end of a year was like 19th. And everything else after that was like 25th, 28th, 30th, 29th in the league. And right now we're fourth in the league, which is just uncharted territories for the Vikings. And you're seeing it um, in the way Kirk Cousins is playing because he's so much more comfortable in the pocket. He's so much more confident. When he needs to go out of the pocket, he's, he's calm, cool, and collected. He can scramble a little bit because he only has to do it maybe three to five times a game, not 20 times like we're so used to. Um, So that's just been a great thing to see. And another takeaway, I think, um, from this past Sunday is that Justin Jefferson looked really good, by far his best game this year. Um, The first two games, he didn't really impress me uh, based off the exceptional rookie season he had last year. But this was his breakout year or breakout game of this year thus far. And I thought he looked like that rookie of the year um, performance he had all of last year. So that was good to see. Definitely good to see JJ get on a roll. I mean, it took him what I think four. I think week four last year was his uh, kind of breakout game. And he he's like Kirk in a sense. I mean, he's only got one NFL season under his belt. But Kirk is typically off to very slow starts. Other than this year, I mean, he was awful through five games last year, and, and then that offense got rolling down the stretch there. And made it interesting, obviously, but uh, they're going to have to make the playoffs this year if this core wants to stay together, if Mike Zimmer wants to keep his job. And he was very complimentary of Kirk uh, in the postgame presser. I don't have any sound bites this week of it, but he was very complimentary of Kirk. He said it was the best offensive performance he has seen in his eight years here, and I completely agree. I mean, I don't know if it was Kirk's best game, but it's it's been the best three games stretched to start a season for Kirk Cousins. And if he can make it four in a row next week and get, and get a win – us two wins in a row, get back to 500. This team's in good shape with Detroit coming into town uh, in week five. Uh, BG, you want to talk a little go for football? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not much to talk about on our end. I mean, horrible game as 30, 31 or 30 and a half point favorites. Um, I don't know what the final line was. It was somewhere around that. Uh, to lose 14 to 10, it really shouldn't have even been that close. I mean, we had a couple breaks go our way at the end with a muff punt that – hit like 15 guys and then ended up back in our hands somehow. Uh, and then the interception and then the very next time we touched football, another interception. So it, it really shouldn't have even been a four point game. I think we were lucky that it was a four point game, but to lose at home on homecoming to Bowling Green as 30 and a half point favorites is just simply unacceptable for, for a coach who says every week, every week is the biggest game of our life. 
we go 0 and 0 in this week and we're just trying to go 1 and 1 or 1 and 0 and that's all we're worried about and that's what he says over and over we went 1 and 0 in the Penn State week we went 0 and 1 in the Ohio State week we went whatever you know that's what he says after every game and for his mantra to be that and to him to hear him repeat that for number of years now and to have them come out and lose to Bowling Green when when the idea is every game is our biggest game every week is our biggest week and I mean that's just simply unacceptable and that really is a gash in the tires of PJ Fleck in the row the boat culture down at the U yeah probably the most embarrassing Gophers football game that we've seen in our lifetime uh definitely the most embarrassing game for PJ Fleck as a head coach and like you mentioned it was the homecoming week uh, football team schedule teams that they know they're going to beat for their homecoming week. So uh, leading up to it, it was a good decision to to choose Bowling Green for this game when you're 30-point favorites, especially after beating Colorado 30-0 to zero when you're three-point underdogs. But it's just, it's just awful football. The game was super hard to watch, obviously, as a Gophers fan. Uh, just an ugly game all around. There's really no excuse for it whatsoever. Tanner Morgan, the redshirt senior quarterback who was in the preseason talks for Heisman two years ago, just looks like he doesn't know how to throw a football. It looks like P.J. Fleck has no confidence in him whatsoever to throw the ball um, and just dish it to our backup running back who's extremely good for a backup running back. But it's just disappointing to see, um, if, even if you throw the, the result of the game out the window, it's disappointing to see Tanner Morgan not step up in his redshirt senior year after so much hype and so much promise earlier in his career um, that we only throw the ball 15 or whatever times it is, and he's just looking so inaccurate and can't move the ball down the field. Part of that's due to the O-line for sure, but it's just disappointing and embarrassing to see um, yeah, kind of on all fronts. Morgan was under a lot of pressure, and, and that was the thing that was most disappointing to me. I had it on in the background. I didn't watch with the volume or anything, but I had the Ryder Cup on the big screen, Gophers on the little screen, and just kind of watched them in the background as the first the first drive happened, and then the second drive, and the third drive, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, they've been getting consistent pressure on Tanner Morgan every snap of the football so far on our end. And at some point, like, as a Big Ten offensive line who weighs in at, like, 330 across the board. I mean, they're one of the biggest offensive lines in the country. They're like 6'6 six, six on average and over 300 pounds. It's a ginormous mammoth offensive line highlighted by Daniel Falele, the IMG guy who's going to go to the NFL. And they just could not stop Bowling Green all day. And it, it was like you're playing against, I don't know, Ohio State. Or, like, they played better against Ohio State than they did against Bowling Green. And it's just ridiculous to see that kind of performance out of a team and it wasn't a fluke it wasn't a fluke at all I think if we had another quarter of football Bowling Green would have beat us by 10 more points I mean it wasn't like we just ran out of time and we started slow and ran out of time we did it we were playing worse at the end of the game than we were at the beginning of the game I mean it was like unbelievable to see uh the Gophers just outperformed and I don't think it's a necessarily a, a sign of what's to come for the rest of the season I think they'll still be very competitive in the Big Ten West they still have a chance to win the conference uh, at least the, the west side and get to uh, the, the right to get destroyed by Penn State in the championship game but it's very questioning to see uh, the Gophers lose as 30 and a half point favorites but really not much else we can say about that I'm, I'm going to stop you there Brady you said that you still have a chance to win the Big Ten West the the only way that you have a chance to win the Big Ten West still is 
because you haven't played a Big Ten West game yet. Like I don't like I know Minnesota has an easy schedule this, this year in, in in the Big Ten, but they're already past Ohio State. But like I I don't see a lot of games where I'm like, oh yeah, like that's a walk in the park for for, for Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota's gonna have to play at their ceiling. Like yeah, but you don't even know, Andy. You play. don't. This is a terrible point. I gotta cut you off. A horrible point. We just went on the road at Colorado as two and a half point dogs and blew them out thirty to rip. And if that's the ceiling for the Gophers, they're gonna go undefeated. They're gonna knock everybody off at their favorite to be, and they're gonna be favored in almost every game if they play up to their level. But but then you lose. But then you lose to Bowling Green the week after, where one week as an underdog, you control both sides of the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively and then the next week you just look just clueless like you have no idea what to do and I guess what I'm saying is like with like if that's your team in the span of seven days like I don't know how you can project that into the rest of the Big Ten West and be like oh we definitely still have a chance I mean it's just like I mean Nebraska it will talk crap all about Nebraska but I mean, that's a great defense. That's a team that I think is kind of like Minnesota is just kind of weird. We don't really know what what's up with them. Like Wisconsin is a team that, I mean, they're still Wisconsin. I mean, you got Iowa. Um, I mean, it's Iowa's not that good, Andy. You guys aren't that okay. good. You guys were trailing Colorado <laughs> State, who's now one and three at half. I think it was a seven point game at half. So no, that's that's college it was football. 14, I mean, it was, these it aren't was professionals. 14, 14 these are eight. Uh, no, you guys were down 14-7 at the half. You can go back. And I, was pretty, I was pretty drunk at that game. Yeah, so. clearly, and you might be uh, drunk now. No, this is a bad <laughs> take. This is 18- to 21-year-old kids who are inconsistent week in and week out. This is college football. I mean, that's the beauty and, and, and the beast of college football is some weeks they show up and some weeks they don't. The Gophers will be fine. They're not going to lose the rest of their Big Ten schedule. They're not going to go 3-8. and eight. They're going to be fine. They're going to have a chance to win every game they play in from here on out. And they're probably going to all come down to the wire. And they're going to win a lot of games. They're still going to win a lot of games. This is a very talented Gopher team. They're well-coached, well-recruited, and it's got a fan base that's even at that game against Bowling Green, we had 46,000 people there, which for past Minnesota administrations would have been 20,000 or 30,000. It would have been a half-full stadium uh, for, for a team like Bowling Green in town. But there were still 46,000 people there, almost at capacity, when you're favored by 30 points. I mean, this is still a team that has the support of the city and the PJ flex still has this team in a good position. Yeah, it was a brutal loss, but that doesn't throw the whole season away and we can talk more about it later on, but uh, the Gophers yeah, I, will be just I, fine. I, I, I will say, uh, I will say something positive about the Gophers uh, and this is maybe more so at, at, at the big 10 West, but like even after this performance this weekend, like I still think Tanner Morgan might be the best quarterback in the big 10 West. Like it's either him or Adrian Martinez, <laughs> and and I think like the Big Ten West just has terrible quarterback play. It's gonna be, it's gonna be like two thousand eight Big Ten football with with all the running games that we see in the in the Big Ten uh, Big Ten West this year. Yep, and uh, I can't wait till we go to Kinnick on November thirteenth and knock you guys off. Because uh, that'll <laughs> that'll be great. That'll be great. Uh, let's talk a little Timberwolves. Let's let's kind of wrap up this uh, football side of things. Let's go to T Wolves. And talk Garrison Rosas. Big news, BG, a couple days ago. Uh, he was fired. Basically, he was having an affair with somebody within the organization who was uh, beneath him, obviously, as a president of basketball operations. Not, a many, not many people above him. So it was somebody who was underneath him in the organization. He's a married man. Uh, and, yeah, the, the organization just could not have that. So very rocky start for the new ownership with Mark Laurie. 
and Alex Rodriguez taking the helm for this Minnesota basketball team. Uh, but very shaky start, BG. And now we got uh, Sachin Gupta. I think he's from the Raptors, and he was with the organization already, but he's going to take that that role for this season at least until they can find somebody else. Uh, but it sounds like he's pretty promising too. So, I mean, get rid of Rosas after he was entering into, I, I believe it would have been his third season, like second and a half year uh, with the team. But very rocky starts the season for the Timberwolves, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked to hear the news uh, when it came out this past week, um, especially because I was a fan of Rosas. I thought that he was brave in that he made some moves um, that GMs and people uh, we had in the front office didn't previously do for the Timberwolves. I thought he had a great draft this past year. Or, um, yeah, this past year with Anthony Edwards, uh, McDaniels, and then Bulmero. But, obviously, we didn't get rid of him for his performance uh, issues or whatever it was. We got rid of him for uh, character stuff he was doing and inappropriate relationships um, and creating a toxic work culture. I heard that coming out of the organization as well. That was probably due to that relationship of a coworker, but um, yeah, definitely not what you want to hear to start the season. And when you have two new owners coming in, but it sounds like from what I've heard from other uh, personnel in the front office from Glenn Taylor, that the Gupta, the Gupta guy who is stepping up is well thought of. Um, he's a smart guy. He actually created the ESPN trade machine. So wow, um, I didn't know. I that. already like him a little Genius. more because of that. I've definitely drawn up some trades on that machine he designed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have on our team, but we, we shall see, but I'm glad that we're talking about Timberwolves because I'm happy that basketball in general is coming back. We're approaching that best time of the year where the four major sports are going to be going on at the same time. Um, but especially basketball and football, having those together, it's a great time of the year. Certainly is. Sachin Gupta is the name he's taken over as president of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And an interesting note, there's no interim attached to his title. So he's uh, he's in there as of now. I mean, I think they're going to still conduct a full search. But, but as far as, as we know now, he is our president of basketball operations. So we'll see what happens moving forward. He's in from what I've heard on Ben Simmons trade ideas, uh, and he's working to try to figure that out. Uh, your thoughts on that, BG? Is the asking price too high for Ben Simmons, or, or is that just going to come down as time goes on? Because he has now not shown up to Sixers training camp, and the pressure is starting to mount. Yeah, well, the, the his trade value is definitely going down. I think it already is going down um, compared to what it was months ago. Um, I saw that the Sixers, the players, wanted to fly out and just talk with Simmons the players only meeting and Simmons rejected that. So not only is he not talking to the front office and the coaches, but not even the players. So no matter what, he's either just not going to show up and not play or get out of Philadelphia. But as far as what they're asking, I don't know. I don't know if it's too high because I've seen so many things. I don't know what the current ask is, especially in relation to Minnesota. I think that Towns is off the table. Anthony Edwards is off the table. Um, I would be fine with you're going to, you're going to have to trade one of our big guys other than those two 
to get Ben Simmons, whether that's it would probably most likely be D'Angelo Russell. Um, and we'd probably have to part ways with a younger guy like McDaniels, which I really, really want to keep McDaniels because I think he has a bright future for the Wolves, especially on that defensive end, which we're very lacking, which Simmons would obviously help us out with. But as, as, as long as we don't get rid of Towns and Edwards, which I've heard that we're not going to do, and we'd be idiots to get rid of Edwards. Um, I'm down to listen to the offers, but I know that because Simmons' trade value has gone up and down and the teams they're talking to has changed, I'm not even sure what the current status of the, the players on each side is. So uh, right now, I, I guess it's just more so wait and see what they offer or what we offer since there's been so many things thrown, thrown back and forth, at, at, least, at least on Twitter. Two, two, two questions, uh, BG. First, uh, does, does Gupta use, do you think Gupta uses the ESPN trade machine when he's building out Ben Simmons? <laughs> like, is that of where course. we start? Of course. And then, <laughs> uh, and then second is, let's say, let's say that the trade is something like the two, you know, the, the two big guys are, are Russell to the Sixers and we get Simmons and there's probably some fluff underneath that. But like, how do you think Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns, like how is that duo play out on the floor because like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid did not work out well uh, on the floor in, uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and I know that Embiid and Cat are different players, but um, I, I, I just don't know if Wolves have thought that far down. Like it's Simmons is a flashy player. Like everyone knows who he is, but like, how does it actually work as a fit yeah. on the team? Yeah, I think the Wolves, I guess I can't answer if they've thought that far down the road, but I think what they've been thinking and why they want to bring Simmons in is just for that defensive presence, like a superstar who can play defense, a guy who's a leader on a team. Um, He's not necessarily going to be the guy who scores 20 points, obviously, but the guy who puts his head out there, puts his head to the ground and plays defense. As far as with Carl Anthony Towns, I think that Embiid, Um, And Towns are different players where in Philadelphia, pretty much 90% of their offense went through Embiid um, in the low block and on the three-point, where I think it's a little bit more diversified up here in Minnesota when you do have Towns, D'Lo, and Anthony Edwards, and um, when he's not in jail, Malik Beasley, who contributes to the points. So I think there's going to be less pressure of the one and two um, that it kind of was in Philadelphia with Simmons and Embiid, where his offensive role would be even smaller. It, it wouldn't need to be as big as he was supposed to be in Philadelphia because, and I'm, let's just say you, you keep D'Lo for the sake of the argument. You have Towns, you have D'Lo, you have Anthony Edwards who are, who are going to score. Simmons can be that secondary scorer to drive um, when he has a smaller guy on him. But other than that, he's just going to be – a role player on offense and a great defensive guy and transition guy to have. So I think that kind of differs it from Philly, but obviously uh, you'll have to see who who's still going to be on the roster here in Minnesota. If we do end up getting Simmons. Yeah, my, my, my opinion, my take on where Simmons goes is I think the wolf, the, the Warriors put a, put a package together for him because I just think that when, when one of your liabilities is free throw shooting and one of your biggest assets is playing defense. When it comes down to like the last two minutes of a type of basketball game, I mean, you can't just pull Simmons off the court because he's a free throw liability. <laughs> you know, like he has to be out there to, to play that 
to, to play defense and, and try, try to win a game for you, get, get a stop or two. Um, and I just think there's so few teams in the NBA who can afford to um, like make this trade, I guess, and, and have success as a basketball team. And I think the Warriors are the only ones that can, they can get away with it, I guess. So that's, that's at least my take on, on where Simmons ends up. You know, we'll see, uh, we'll see what A-Rod, uh, what A-Rod puts together, how much crypto he, uh, he, he shoots off to him under the table. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword for the Timberwolves right now because they need a lot of things uh, to make the team better. And the two biggest ones are shooting as a team and defense. And Ben Simmons is going to give you one of those, and he's not going to give you the other. Um, so it's, I think they just got to make a move because we come in 11th or 12th pretty much every year in the West. I, I have so. a few things I want to touch on. Um, the Warriors thing is the Warriors don't have much to give the Sixers. The Warriors' big asset would be Wiseman, and the Sixers wouldn't want him. You could do a three-way trade, but things get complicated in that one. But I do think the Sixers' um, price for Ben Simmons is edging on delusional. Um he, you know, I, I think he's a really great player and specifically a regular season player, which is what the T-Wolves need. I think uh, he can be the 20-point score, not necessarily in the playoffs, obviously, as we've seen. But I think he can be a 20-point score in the regular season. I also do think it is going to be very difficult to get him without giving up D'Lo and McDaniels with what the Sixers asking price is. But as of right now, no one's willing to pay that asking price, obviously. And things are only going to get worse for the Sixers and, frankly, worse for Ben Simmons as he has to pay. I think I saw a stat. It was like $308,000, like a day or a game or something for uh, every day he missed. And it's like – so things are going to get yeah, worse. for practice. Yeah, was it for practice? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so yeah, just a few those few things. I just I think the war the T Wolves are one of those situations where Ben actually does work. I personally like a trade where we just give D'Lo straight up or D'Lo and some picks and keep our core together. But because I love McDaniel's, I think for and me too. He's yeah, and D'Lo. I don't love D'Lo. D'Lo gives his team a lot of what we don't need. I mean, he gives you shoot. He's give, He's a high volume shooter though. He's not like an efficient shooter either. And he doesn't give you any defense, which is obviously everything the T-Wolves need. So if you can bring in Ben Simmons, who can play, frankly, the one through four, and Cat can play the five and then switch out to the four every now and then or switch out outside and let Kat, uh, Simmons get down low. And then what the uh, Sixers didn't have was Cat's shooting, which Embiid is not Cat's shooting. Cat is historically one of the best big man shooters of all time. But the Sixers also didn't have a true second star who can ball handle and get Simmons off of that role and get Simmons down in the block, which I'm super high on Anthony Edwards, and I think Anthony Edwards can be all that. So I think Ben Simmons, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns is a match made in heaven for all three of them, to be completely honest. So, Yeah. I like it. I mean, I'm not. I agree with a lot of that. I'm not an elite NBA mind. I don't watch a lot of NBA basketball, but uh, I would love to get rid of D'Lo. It just he doesn't seem like he fits here. Statistically, it doesn't work, uh, and it hasn't worked through. We just need a number of games. He just doesn't give that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Any other thoughts from anybody Minnesota Timberwolves related? Beautiful. 
Beautiful. Let's move on. Randy, let's talk Ryder Cup. We'll wrap this show up then. Uh, U.S. dominates at Whistling Straits. 19-9 to is the final count. Highest point total for the U.S. ever, I think. Um, and, and it was just an absolute domination in Kohler, Wisconsin. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, big story from the week, just driving greens, drove the green on 18, or excuse me, on one uh, on that last Sunday singles match, makes the putt for Eagle. What a hot start to that match. And he has just kind of found himself. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, another big story from the week, wearing no hat so people could finally see his face um, is at least what he said, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Uh, he, and, he and he's a guy, alive. too, that like of all the guys on the team that should be wearing a hat or look better wearing a hat, Patrick Cantley looks better wearing a hat. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. But a, a big week for him coming out of his shell uh, and helping that U.S. team dominate. And um, obviously another big guy from the week, Dustin Johnson, 5-0 and oh in the sing- in every match. He played all, all five sessions. He, he was undefeated, and he really kind of helped lead that younger U.S. team. He was the oldest player on the team by five years. I think the average age was 29 on the squad. Um, but he, he was – far and away the oldest guy and he just dominated all week for this team now which is probably going to be pretty much the same for the next several Ryder Cups or at least the core guys are all very young and it's going to stay the same but on that Sunday matchups Andy we were favored in 11 of the 12 singles matches and that just bodes well for the future baby yeah I mean it's um I guess first off did you see um did you see how drunk Justin Johnson was um, in his press conference, yeah, I think he was uh, just. I don't think he was actually. I think he was just kind of playing it. Oh out. no, 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 no! It, Dustin Johnson was. You could you could tell in like Brooks Koepka and Justin Thomas's reaction sitting behind him that Dustin Johnson was absolutely obliterated, and that is what the American team needs: is Dustin Johnson getting pissed drunk um, after winning the Ryder Cup. I mean. Uh, I, I might disagree with you a little bit on like what this team looks like in two years, just because if I mean if you look at just previous history, just how how many guys um, kind of carry forward team to team, it's not as much as you might think. Um, I mean, it's probably going to be probably going to be six to eight players are for sure locks, but I mean you have guys even like you know like we don't know where you know Dustin Johnson's going to be in in two years when he's going to be 41 or you know, even Brooks Kepka, you know, hasn't, um, you know, he's been competitive recently, but um, you know, he hasn't won. It was, hasn't won a tournament in a couple of years. And um, you know, uh, or I guess he won, he won the waste management this year. Um, but besides that, he hasn't won in a couple of years. Uh, Brooke, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, I feel like he, um, like, I feel like he could like, break every bone in his body doing some long drive competition um, and just end it all right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, regardless, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so fun to watch. Um, and um, I mean, it's just like, there's so many likable guys on that team. And um, like when even Bryce and DeChambeau can be likable for a week, I mean, it just, it just awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think, Brooks is no nowhere near. Brooks is thirty one years old, Andy. I mean, you're talking about golf right now. This isn't football. Brooks is going to be around for a long time. He'll be a staple of that Ryder Cup team for I don't know four or five, maybe six more Ryder Cups. Um, and, and he had some had some thoughts about it beforehand. He didn't really want to play, uh, and then he kind of figured out he did want to play. He had a blast this week. 
uh, and he'll be a part of the Ryder Cup team for a long time. But uh, I, I guess, like you know, even look at like if if this Ryder Cup is held last year when it was supposed to, Jordan Spieth isn't on the team. Jordan Spieth is ranked like 80th in the world. Like I guess what I'm saying is like the way golf is is that I mean, even a guy like Jordan Spieth can have a down year or two and kind of fall out of, um, you know, fall out of just being an elite player <laughs> and um, it's just not a sure thing in golf. And I'm like looking at like that team, I think like Colin Markawa is going to be solid. I think Xander Shoffley is going to be solid. I think um, like, like those are the two guys for sure who are going to be solid. Like Justin Thomas, I have no idea. I mean, I think the only reason he played well this week is because um, he was back wearing polo Ralph Florin. Um, you know, <laughs> um, and that gave him some, some extra, I don't know, motivation, confidence, whatever, to avoid the F words. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be tough over there in Italy. I mean, that course, they're building it to be a home, you know, a home course advantage for, for the Euros. Um, and we saw in Paris that the U S team thought they could go over there and play their own game, um, and come out with a win and, it's going to be interesting to see how how Zach Johnson puts that team together in two years. Yeah, it'll definitely be fun. They're going to have to go with a different strategy than than Paris in 2018, but it, it'll be a dominant squad for a long time for the U.S. They'll be favored in Ryder Cups for 10, 15 years. I mean, this is going to be a domination I, stretch for I, the U.S. I, with, I, I, with again, again I'm, I'm, I'm pumping the brakes again. I mean, if you look at the world world amateur golf rankings, I mean, it's a lot of Euros up there. Randy, Randy no, no, of, no, 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 no. You're not well-researched at all. Of that, uh, they so they had the number one player in the world, right, John Rahm. We had the next nine highest-rated players in the world up to the 16th rated. So nine of the 10 guys that are rated, it, it was the top 16, but the next nine best players in the world were all on our team. We were favored in 11 of the 12 singles matches. Our average age is 29. We're talking about golf. Yeah, people go up and down, but the Ryder Cup experiences doesn't go away. And learning how to play in that event at, at the age of 23 or 24 for Colin Morikawa and Scotty Scheffler, that's invaluable experience that's going to dominate. That's how they built guys like Poulter and guys like Sergio Garcia who have just been playing in Ryder Cups forever and have dominated that event. But with these young guys, this is a new wave of Americans coming in that we haven't seen. I mean, this is the post-Tiger, post-Phil Mickelson era that we just haven't seen uh, in U.S. golf that just absolutely loves the Ryder Cup, loves this event, and wants to dominate. And they're going to do just that for for a long time. I, I get, again, again, I'm, I'm I'm pumping the brakes a little bit. I think Jordan Spieth pumped the brakes a little bit, um, you know, in his post-game post post game uh post match press conference that you know it they have to they have to they have to val uh validate it by winning over in Europe. You know, and I think like when you talk about world world golf rankings, like it's not like a one player versus sixteenth player. It's not like it's not like um like the discrepancy isn't like the March Madness tournament. I mean it's such a like it's such a tiny discrepancy between like the first ranked and the tenth ranked player in the world and it really comes down to how they're playing you know, that month or, or that week particularly. And, um, I mean, I just think that yeah, in some cases, like, in some cases, but the Ryder cup is different. I mean, the Ryder cup is, is a completely different golf event. It's not the same as the other individual golf matches. It's completely different. You can hear the players talk about that and you can see what the Europeans have done to us in eight of the last 11 Ryder cups. And you can look at the players have had on those teams and it's different. It, it's totally different. And yeah, I mean, you, you can go ahead and say pump the brakes, but this U S team in my opinion, is going to dominate for a long time. This is a group 
of, of young guys who are ready to take this Ryder Cup back and, and stop losing all these years to Europe when we're favored. And we're going to be favored in the next match in, in Rome, even though we're on the road, and we're going to be favored wherever it comes back to the U.S., and we're going to be favored when it comes back to Hazeltine in 29. And those are just stats we're not having, going to see for a while, but those are stats that are going to come true. All right, we'll leave it at that. I love it. Uh, Good old-fashioned sports dog radio right there. <laughs> we'll be back next week wrapping up NFL and NCAA and anything else that happens. Maybe the Timberwolves fire another guy this week, but we will see what happens. We'll wrap all that up, recap all that next Monday. See you then. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun.